Hello again. I was reading um, an article recently that said that Eastman Kodak were, for the first time in decades, hiring technicians again to handle print film. And um, that prompted the the question, is filmmaking a comeback? And um, it did rather remind me of vinyl records, <laughs> which... Uh, um, so those of you who are my age will remember vinyl when that was all we had and then we got cassettes and they kind of lived alongside vinyl for a while then we had CDs and then obviously onto MP3 and all the stuff we have now but vinyl's still been there and they're still sort of dedicated um, hardliners for one of a better expression who um, get passionate about it and then what happens is people who didn't grow up with it as the years go by kind of rediscover it and they become passionate about it and it looks like a similar thing may be happening with film. And um, I'm not for a moment saying that film ever went away because I still have two film cameras. I've got my old uh, Canon EOS 3 and I've also got a medium format camera, a Bronica ETRSI. And I've certainly, um, when I was doing photo walks in Sydney uh, with We're Observers, that we'd always or often get somebody who was using a film camera so although they were very much the minority, it's definitely been there. And I just thought, having seen that article, it prompted me to maybe have a chat about film. And if you were following me when I was running the Creative Photography Academy and I had a thing called the Inspiration Magazine that I was putting out every month, I actually did a two-part um, article in that about using film and really what the the differences are, what you need to think about if you're used to digital, you've grown up with digital and you now want to experiment with film. So I'm kind of paraphrasing what went on or what I wrote about in those articles. So the first thing really to think about, you, you kind of have to change your thinking, although the end result is the same. You've got a, an image of something, how you get there and the thinking that you use to get there, the planning that you have to do to get there is, is a little bit different when you're thinking film compared to digital. So obviously with digital, you've got your camera, you've got your lens, whatever that might be, or your lenses, and off you go and you set up your settings, whether you're using one of the modes on the camera, and um, set your ISO up so that you've got the right exposure and the right depth of field and the right shutter speed, and off you go. So... Broadly speaking, yes, you have to do all of those things, but the way you go about it is a bit different. And obviously the the elephant in the room, if you like, is the film itself. So the cameras, now I'm not aware of any new cameras. I'm not even, I, I, and I, honest, I honestly don't know if you can still buy new cameras. I would imagine you can. But I'm guessing most of the cameras you would come across, across are older cameras. And they will vary quite a bit in how they operate. Some won't even use batteries. Some of the older ones didn't even use batteries, which, you know, is a great thing when you think about digital. We're constantly having to keep batteries um, fully charged because the, the cameras themselves are very um, heavy in their in their use of power compared to um, a film camera. So you do need to, first of all, understand what your camera is going to give you. Obviously, the, the body and the lens that you have, assuming that it's um, an SLR <laughs> rather than a DSLR, so single lens reflex rather than digital single lens reflex or even a mirrorless. And, um, and, and for those who don't know, single lens reflex simply means you're looking through the lens. So you have a, a viewfinder with a prism arrangement behind it, which allows you and a, um, a, a sort of shutter, a mirror 
um, that's flipped up when you hit the shutter button and that allows you to look right through the lens so you can see exactly what it is you're photographing which is um, for most work the, the best way to go although um, a lot of compact style cameras have a separate viewfinder off to one side so um, for anything in the distance it's pretty much the same but if you're getting close up then you're very close and macro that sort of thing you really need an SLR so let's talk a little bit about the film because this is the heart of it and this determines what you're going to get so what are the options you've got so the first thing is are you going to shoot color or black and white because that will you know dictate which kind of film you want and then if you go in color and I think you can do possibly can do this for black and white I honestly don't remember now because I've never done it um, but are you going to go color negative or color positive film and color negative is the normal one for prints but color negative is the slide film so <laughs> if you've never seen them it's like taking um, a developed roll of 35 millimeter film chopping the individual images out so that they're just a single image on a, on a piece of film and then you put it in a paper or a plastic frame and then you pop it in the slide projector so um, which then of course means if you're using that um, way of shooting which is how I used to like to do it you then need some means of projecting the, uh, the final image onto a screen somewhere so there, there's other equipment, equipment to think about the other thing to remember with um, <clears throat> excuse me, colour positive film or slide film is that you really have to get your settings right so your exposure's got to be bang on because your uh, whatever you look at is whatever's on that that film. If you're using colour negative to produce a print, in the printing stage you can adjust to a limited extent compared to what you can do with digital. You can adjust exposure um, on, on that film and some people are actually very good at um, exposing different parts of the image and changing the exposure on, on certain parts of the image so that's a, a, another kind of layer of art of expertise and it's not one that I have because I'm more into the shooting and then I pop it down to a lab but that does take you then to the next stage once you've shot your film what do you do with it so it's important to have somewhere where you can get the film developed you can um, have it printed as well and when I started when I, when I was a kid what we would do is basically take the the exposed roll down to the local chemist and a few days later uh, or if you're lucky the same day you would have a developed roll of film and a set of prints off um, off that roll what you can also do though is get what we call a contact sheet so that's um, a sheet of um, photographic paper that is roughly A4 um, <clears throat> if you're not familiar with photographic paper sizes and that has small images so it's like you just take the um, the 35mm roll of film put it against the paper and that and the image is on the paper at that size so that's a, a contact sheet and that would be um, when I was shooting portraits that would be how I would get my film back I'd get the film developed have the contact sheet and often get everything digitized anyway and um, once I started getting into that but I used the contact sheet to look at which pictures I wanted to get actually printed and then what size so there's a whole that's an initial kind of bunch of things and that's just whether you're going color or black and white but I've also spoken about what happens once you've taken your shot but what are, what are the other options so the next thing you have to think about is 
the film speed. So obviously with digital photography, depending on how you're using your camera, the camera will determine the the ISO setting or you'll set the ISO setting. And you can vary it from from image to image. It, you know, each image on a digital camera is completely independent of the next. So you can change things as you need to to get the right exposure. What you have to remember with, with film is that that whole roll gets exposed the same way. So the first thing to think about is your um, ISO. Now, the number that will look familiar to you on film is the ASA number. You'll also see a DIN number, but unless you really want to get into it, we'll forget about that because that's different. But if you know what your ISO numbers are, if you look at ASA, you'll see the same numbers. And again, they run the same way. So a, a 25 ASA is a very slow film. And if you go up to a 3200, that's a very fast film. Now, um, you may well find that the ASA range doesn't match the range on your digital camera. It might be shorter. It might not go as fast. And um, that's fine as well. You, you'll often find that the... Um, the film behaves slightly differently to the digital camera anyway. But what do you have to think about? Now, obviously, if you're familiar with ISO, you know that as you turn the ISO up, you get a grainier film, and that's digital noise that's getting picked up in the uh, the camera. Now, the same, things the same thing happens with film, but it's not digital noise anymore. It's actually the, the grain, the, the particles that react to the light. They are larger in faster film. So if you want a very some of these very beautiful, very sharp, very high resolution images, you want to go for the lowest ASA number you can find. So something like a 25 to a very slow film will give you beautiful, sharp images, particularly you want to blow them up. Now, I'm also going to talk, so I've been really talking 35mm primarily, but if you are interested in experimenting with medium format, the difference between the two, or the fundamental difference, is the size of the film you're putting in. So medium format uses a much larger negative. Um, so I think it's four or five times the area of 35mm um, film. Uh, and that will depend a little bit on what exactly what medium format you're using because the formats, the sizes vary from camera to camera. You can choose um, a particular film size or image size if you like on the neck so I've got a Bronica ETRSI that's one of the smaller ones and the reason that that these cameras are so good is if you think about it if you're shooting on um, um, an ASA 25 film the actual area of the film you're using on the 35 millimeter is much smaller than if you use the same film sensitivity on a much bigger negative so this is where you get, and, and based in the days of film, if you think of magazine covers, they were almost always shot using a medium format camera because that allowed them to get that very, very high print quality. So that's another thing to think about. If you want to get very, very high quality prints, consider a medium format camera. But depending on what you're trying to shoot, so if you're in a studio, that's fine. But if, for example, you're trying to do wildlife like I do, the camera gear gets huge. And it's very impractical. You don't have much in the way of zoom lens options. You're, you're pretty much talking um, fixed focal length lenses. Bear in mind with a lot of medium formats as well, uh, I think probably most of them, the, the shutter is in the lens itself. So it's not in the camera body. Now, another thing, I'm just going to talk a little bit about medium format cameras because I really like them. Uh, you can kind of disassemble them. 
and they so the, the lens with the shutter arrangement obviously sticks on one end of the box if you think of the camera as a box uh, you've got a viewfinder which might be one of those wastefinders so if you've seen people looking holding the camera at waist level and looking down onto the screen that's the often the standard viewfinder for medium format you can get a more regular prism viewfinder on some of them and that's what i've got on my bronica um these days you can't i think you could probably get some you know pc attachments for a lot of them as well if you want to do that but that's only practical in a studio environment um, the other thing that, that I really like, though, is that you can have different film backs. So where you put the roll film, and, and with the Bronicry, I use a 120 sized roll film, and that film is solely in lengths. Now, on my Bronica, uh, the lengths that I have um, allow me to shoot either 12 frames or um, 24, I think is the other one. It's 22 or 24. So... That, again, is something to think about, the length of film that you're using. You'd also do that, obviously, with 35mm because you can. Uh, the standards are either 24 or 36 exposures. <clears throat> but once you get into medium format, it starts depending on what, um, you know, how much of the film you're exposing with each shot, and that will dictate how many um, photographs you're going to get off a roll of film. With the film backs, though, it means you can you have a slider that goes in to stop the film being exposed, and then you can take the back off and pop another one on. So that's quite handy because then for a given shoot, and I have a, a carry bag that I use the HRSI because I have gone out and done location portraits with it. I'll have a black and white film. I'll have a color film. I might have a different speed of color film on another back. So I'll just switch backs as I'm shooting. Um, it, it's not fast if you use the digital and just firing away then it's it's very very slow very very pedestrian but it does give you um, a lot of control over what you're doing so um, I'll come back to medium format again but medium format is, is something I love just because of the quality of the results that you can get but the problem is the gear is very it's quite expensive I'd, I'd imagine most of what you'll be looking at would be second hand but even so it can be quite expensive these days. Uh, lenses are quite expensive. Also on the ETRSI, and I must admit I've forgotten the um, uh, the, um, the the exposed area size. <laughs> should should uh, check that out a bit more. But um, just bear in mind your lens, your um, normal view is a different focal length. So on a normal thirty-five mil camera. Uh, a 50 millimeter lens will give you what they call a normal view so it's a view you would normally see obviously on a cropped um, sensor that changes as well you're effectively zooming in so it would actually be um, uh, an even shorter focal length depending on the crop it goes the other way on a medium format on my Bronica 75 millimeters gives me the normal view so again what I mean by normal view is just looking through the viewfinder um, you see the same scene that you would see with your eyes. So it's not magnified or it's not a wide, it's not a telephoto or wide angle compared to what you would normally see. Hopefully that makes some sense. So that's another thing to think about. Do you want to use 35mm film if you're looking at cameras or do you want to explore medium format, bearing in mind that you need often a lot more equipment um, in terms of lenses and uh, but it gives you the opportunity of having multiple film backs you can have a Polaroid back those sorts of things um, or even digital backs are available for some they're quite expensive but it does allow you to shoot on um, a digital just effectively the same as you've got with the DSLR so um, something we're thinking about now um, 
another thing to remember so film length you you've got a much you know you're very limited on what you can shoot uh the number of images you can shoot so on a 35 mil camera um that as i say the the standard lens in fact there used to be 12 i don't even know if you can even get that now but that was one that was available at one time but then 24 and 36 36 was the usual um so when I used to go out shooting wilds with film cameras, I had uh, two uh, Minolta X700s with motor drives on them. And both would be loaded with a 36 mil, a 36 exposure colour film. Now, I used to use a particular Fuji film, and this is important because I like the way it handled the blues. So given that I was on the ocean, I mean, the colour blue, not the, you know, jazz, um, Given that I was on the ocean, obviously there was a lot of blue in the images. And, and again, films, different manufacturers' films had different characteristics when they were developed and when they were printed. And that was another thing that you would learn, a little bit of trial and error, really, just finding out which films you like, because it comes down to personal preference. So I used to use a particular Fuji film for what I would shoot. And then Ilf- I used to use Ilford on um, black and white. Uh, and then there was some Kodak used to do some quite bright some portrait um, films which I liked for color or if I wanted bright colors yeah, for portraits rather or bright colors. So again, another thing to think about with film is to experiment a bit and maybe just buy um, you know a set of film from different manufacturers and just go out and shoot look at the results and decide which ones that you, you prefer and then maybe stick to those films for different applications. So that's the, so that's another thing. So you've got your your film speed that we've spoken about, how grainy, and it really is grain, do you want the... Um, are you happy for the final image to be? And remember, that gets worse when you're looking at a solid colour. So for me, shooting whales, I prefer to get a slower film but I needed to be shooting fast so because the whale's moving on on a boat. So it was always a bit of a compromise. I'd normally use a 400 ASA film. That was my standard. Uh, and that was a relatively fast film. And um, you, I could go 800. That was another one I'd occasionally use. And then you can push or pull the um, film when you're setting the um, ASA, which means that you're shooting it not at the rate the the speed that the film's rated for but you normally go one stop or the other on the um, speed dial and then shoot to that because you might find so if I had a if I sometimes the, the reason I talk about this if I'm using a grainy film let's say I had um, um, a fast film but it was too sensitive to the light where I was I'd actually wind the ASA down one or two stops you wouldn't generally go more than that um but um just to so that then my exposure was correct but it gave me very grainy kind of results so that was a just um something i used to like doing if i was shooting black and white particularly portraits it made it look a bit more like a newspaper print the old newspaper print pictures so it was just a kind of fun thing to do again something you can experiment with and i think this is one of the attractions of film that you can experiment and, and play around and see what results you get. I do recommend you have a notebook with you, though, because you can't store the um, settings in the way that the, the, the metadata is stored on a um, digital camera. You have to jot it down in a notebook, <laughs> so it's slightly different. So 
when you're choosing your film, are you going black and white or colour? Are you going normal negative film or are you going um, colour reversal film is the other way um, slide film was referred to. Uh, what film speed do you want? You know, how what are you shooting? How fast do you need a shutter speed? How fast things have to happen? And also how much grain do you want in the, in the final image? Because once you've shot it, you can't control it, really. I mean, you can do something with the printing, but not... Not a lot. So all of those are things to um, to think about. And then, as I say, what, what you would get by experimenting with different film stock from different manufacturers is you'll see how the colours work. Now, another thing to think about, so it's, it's something you can play with, but it's, it's called cross-processing. And that's basically where you get the, um, whoever's doing your processing for you to use um, a different processing it's basically different chemicals to process the film than it should. So the, the way that would normally be done is that you would shoot on, um, let's say, a colour negative film, but you would process, process it as if it was um, a slide film. So you're using different um, chemicals. Now, you, what happens there is it changes the colours. So you can get quite a pastel-y kind of look. So it's like... Um, in effect, these days we would do it in post-processing to get that same effect, but you can do it using film, so it's something to play with. But what you have to remember when you do that is you have to be very careful of certain colours. So greens and reds are one that I remember from, and I've done this for a long time now, but they would tend to bleed into one another. So again, a little bit, so you would use, shoot people with colours that are fairly, um, well, pastel-y colours, so soft colours, Beware of shooting on grass, places, things like that, because that that was um, an area that where the green can bleed into the other colours a little bit. Um, but it, it's a fun thing. You can get special effects with film, and that's one way of doing it by taking advantage of the uh, the film processing process itself, rather than um, just working with what you're given from the manufacturer. Okay, so. Um, yeah, I was kind of starting to recap there and I slightly distracted myself. So yeah, just to recap um, with where we are so far. So going to 35mm, the, the key thing you really have to think about and plan for is the film you're using. Most cameras, it, it's like buying any camera. It's down to how how they work. Do you, do you feel comfortable work with them? Are they fairly intuitive? Do they have the range of lenses that you want? All the kind of normal questions you would ask yourself when you're buying a, a digital camera. But when it comes to day-to-day -day use, you really have to understand the film a lot more. So that, that And the film is the heart of it. That really does dictate how good and how your images are going to turn out, assuming that you, you, you're on top of the basics of, of operating the camera. Um, the other difference I will mention that you're likely to find with a film camera is that a lot of it's certainly if you're looking at older cameras, they don't have autofocus. So autofocus came in um, in the I think it was mid nineties. So definitely anything older than that is unlikely to have autofocus. The chances are the autofocus is not going to be nearly as good as you would get on a, a, a modern DSLR or mirrorless camera, and that does translate into how you use the. The camera. So in the good old days, when we only had manual focus, 
quite often the the focusing technique was to use a split um, prism. Um, how that looked in the viewfinder was that you would look through and you'd see a circle in the middle of the viewfinder and it would have a line through it. That might be a diagonal line or it might be a vertical line or a horizontal line. The implementation varied slightly. And the way you used it was you would point, look at something that was the same distance from the camera as your subject, but you're looking for something with a straight line. And when you looked at it through the prism, the the line of it, and let's say it was um, um, a street lamp. If you're looking at the street lamp, the edge of it wouldn't necessarily line up. So it might be off to one side or the other. And all you did was change your focus so that the, the line of the street lamp, the edge of the street lamp, was correct. It all lined up. And that meant you're in focus for that distance. So um, really, really simple to use. Very, very accurate. I, I thought they were, I always found those very good. And um, it's something, I mention it because you don't have it on um, certainly the cameras I'm using these days. They rely pretty much on autofocus. And if you don't have, if you're not using autofocus for any reason, you've kind of got to um, do it by eye. And it's not as accurate as a split prism. So split prisms are very good. And that's the other major change you're likely to see. Um, the final change is on the exposure itself. Um, a lot of cameras had exposure meters in them. Sometimes it'd be a digital thing, which would tell you when you were right. So you would need to check on the camera that you're using. Others had a little needle at the bottom of the viewfinder or on the side of the viewfinder, and it would show you when your exposure was correct. So you could see it moving up and down, and it would show you when it was correct. So that type of implementation as well is also um, different to what you're probably used to if you're moving from DSLR to an SLR or another kind of film camera. And the final thing is that most cameras, certainly on the SLRs, would not have an internal flash. Um, they would use an external flash and usually your flash sync would be at 1 60th of a second. Um, a lot of cameras, and certainly on the standard flash wouldn't that's all they had so you'd be shooting at 1 60th so that's fine on a you know reasonable kind of focal length remember that the, the, you know the one over the inverse focal length laws and so the maximum you can handhold is one over the focal length of the lens so if you're on a, a 50 millimeter lens a standard lens the the slowest shutter speed you would expect to be able to keep things sharp and not have any movement would be one over 50 so 1 50th of a second if you're on a 100 millimeter lens, it's longer. So that would be 100th of a second. So um, you kind of just need to be more aware of those those rules. But be aware that on the um, um, a lot of manual, uh, the old um, film cameras, the flash sync was only at 160th. So again, you'd need to just see what um, your camera is capable of doing. But don't be surprised if that's the case. So yeah, I think I've, hopefully I've made some sense there. I'll just do a quick... Um, recap on all of that because I, I did have some notes to keep me on track and I feel I've <laughs> possibly veered off a little bit. Um, so as I've said the heart of it is the film so what you have to remember about the film. First of all loading which I don't think I mentioned you have to do it in subdued light because you don't want to expose the film. I have done it outside I mean you can get away with it outside but you just got to be careful do it in the shade and um, some cameras you just pull the leader of the film to a line in the back. So you can see normally there's the curtain shutter there. 
Um, you pull the, you put the film in on one spool. You pull it across towards the other. Um, on later cameras, you just pull the the leader up to a line that's marked in in inside the back of the camera. You close the back, and then it will automatically wind the film on. Um, with older cameras, so the cameras I used to use, you had to manually thread the film leader through the pick up the take up spool, and um, just get that right, and then you would manually advance the film a couple of stops so that meant winding it on hitting the shutter button winding on again and um, you do that two or three times to get the the film where it needed to be and then off then you would go and you'd see a film counter on the top somewhere usually which would tell you how many um shot how many frames you'd used and what you had left and then at the end of once you'd finished um that roll off you'd know because you can't wind it on anymore it just stops because the the film just stops you either have to manually rewind the film or it will automatically rewind the film on later cameras so um, if you've got a camera with no batteries in it obviously you would manually do all of that because it's you know there's no um, electronics doing that automation for you okay so that was the thing I knew I'd forgotten so recap <laughs> again so um yeah, have a look at, if you're not familiar with film cameras, just have a look around and, and dive into maybe, there's lots of online manuals, have a look and see what sort of thing they've got. Or if you know somebody who's got a film camera, go and have a look at it and find out a little bit about how to operate it. Once you've got one, and again, the options on lenses, motor drives, all that sort of stuff will vary from model to model. And what's available these days, um, secondhand, I, I, as I say, I don't know if there are new um, film cameras still being made. Uh, if you're going medium, I love the medium format, but remember it's more expensive, it's bulkier, and um, you've got a like you'll need longer lenses to get the same um, level of magnification as you would on a, a 35mm. Uh, the critical thing is just understanding the film. So, my suggestion is that when you start, you buy different film stock from different manufacturers, buy a black and white film buy a colour film, a colour negative film, buy a colour reversal film or a slide film. So it's the same name, um, different names for the same thing. See what the results are. And um, I, probably to start, I'd get short film lengths actually just to experiment with. So um, a 24 um, exposure film or even a 12 if they got them. Because if you're just playing around with different film, it's good to use um, shorter lengths of film because that way you can finish them uh, faster you don't have to finish a roll by the way you can always um, uh, just rewind from where you are and that's fine and in fact another thing if you want to do a double exposure some cameras will allow you to do that so what you do is shoot one frame but instead of advancing the film often you'll find a button in the bottom of the camera you push up and it um, actually doesn't advance the film when you hit the lever usually you have to um, activate the rewind lever because it resets the camera so it's ready to use the shutter again so often the um because the mirror um will be um, locked up um uh, to expose the film uh, and then down again but you on the mechanics of it and as you can tell <laughs> that onto it but i'm just remember it from a user's perspective you'd push the button up rewind and it didn't actually advance the film so that way you would then and then you would shoot again so you'd do a double exposure or really however many exposures you wanted to do but that's how you would do that. Um, I'm trying to remember anything else as I'm trying to sum up. Um, but yeah, so with the film, buy different types of film. 
you may an experiment with it have a, have a notebook it's really handy to write down the film you're using and um you know your date and just make a note of your settings because there if if you do want to just reference back uh, when you're looking at the final print then you you can you can do that you've got a fighting chance of doing it so um that I would recommend that I think is um pretty much it so I hope that's as I say I hope that's made some sense I hope that's given you some ideas and I'm sure you can get 35 millimeter film cameras pretty cheaply uh, some of them are compact cameras that might even be a good place to start because then you've got a basic lens on there um, you've got the camera body you can just go straight off and start shooting with it and then as you get more familiar with things you might choose to get um, a more advanced system and um, or even go to medium format uh, depending on what you want to do so um, there you go and, and as for where things are going the, the future of film who knows uh, vinyl uh, I'm, I'm not I don't buy um, records and things these days but um, I know vinyl is now very popular and has a real a really strong following and it's quite likely quite it's certainly very possible that film will go the same way particularly as um, a new generation kind of gets exposed to it to use a phrase pardon the pun there um but as they do get to play with film and, and some people just love film and much prefer it to digital even though digital now is extremely good and i was one of those people who held off buying a digital camera for a long time because certainly initially the the sensors were very uh, low resolution so if i can't remember if we had social media <laughs> probably not then uh, but the, it was very low resolution and, um, it, you know, the early days of digital, it was not very impressive. But di- these days, it is very good. And um, certainly the EOS 5DS that I've got, the sensor on that is pretty much medium format quality at full um, full resolution on the sensor. But, you know, it's each to their own. So um, I'm going to stop. I um, Like I said, I hope you found that useful and I'll speak to you again on the next podcast. Bye for now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is information available through my website and um, also on the, uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcast and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now.